0: Music, 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 m- 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 music, technology, music, technology, technology music, techno techno tech, 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 music, technology,
1: teacher, 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 music, technology, teacher, music, te- 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 thu- te- 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 tech, teacher, teacher, network, net, net, teacher, network, net, net, teacher, network, network. Music technology teachers network Music technology teachers network new new tech teachers network Music technology teachers network Music technology teachers network
0: new new tech teachers network Music
1: technology teachers network
0: hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to the mu tech teacher talk podcast this podcast is a part of Mutech teachernet.com a website dedicated to advocating supporting and inspiring creativity in teachers and students through music technology. I am your host and founder of Mutech TeacherNet, Heath Jones. My guest in this episode is Dr. Cynthia Johnson Turner. Dr. Johnson Turner is currently the director of bands and professor of music at the Hodgson School of Music at the University of Georgia. Before her appointment at the Hodgson School, Dr. Johnson Turner was the director of wind ensembles at Cornell University. Early in her career, she was a high school music educator taught middle school beginning instrumental music in Toronto and choral music in Switzerland. Both she and the ensembles under her direction have been recognized on numerous occasions for their musical artistry, promotion of contemporary composers from around the world, and her innovative and engaging programming. Dr. Johnson-Turner has been invited to present her research with teaching and technology, innovative rehearsal techniques, and service learning and music performance at numerous conferences nationally and internationally. She has been published in numerous national and international professional publications and is constantly in demand as a conductor, clinician, and speaker in the United States, Australia, Latin America, Europe, and Canada. I am certainly excited and honored for the opportunity to speak with her in this episode about her experience with integrating technology into teaching and performing, as well as her point of view in the creative and developmental process of utilizing technology to engage students and encourage collaboration and communication in the performing arts. Again, thank you for taking the time to do this interview today. I know that your schedule stays very full and I really appreciate you being here to have this conversation. When I first heard the news that you were coming to the University of Georgia a few years ago, one of the first things that I learned about you is that in addition to your outstanding reputation as a musician and conductor, was the innovative work you had been doing with technology and particularly your involvement as a beta tester for Google Glass? I'd like to start by asking if you could tell me about how your interest in technology developed and specifically how you became involved with the Google Glass project and what you learned from that experience.
1: Well, the whole Google Glass project was actually born when I was at Cornell because. I was getting interested in the possibilities of technology simply because Cornell was getting interested in the possibilities of technology in terms of assessment, more student engagement in the classroom, getting into the 21st century in terms of where kids are at, learning virtually, flipping the classroom, all of these things that we keep hearing about as educators. And so Cornell was becoming interested and supportive of all things technology-driven as are a lot of places. You know, If you want to get a grant, if you throw the word technology and innovation in there, there's a good chance that you're going to get the grant. Anyway, Tyler Ehrlich, who was an undergraduate student at Cornell at the time and is now teaching at Centennial, he came into my office one day and said, uh, check this out, check this out. And so we went on Twitter and we watched one of the first quote-unquote advertisements for Google Glass, which of course is very uh, compelling and Guys jump out of a plane, land in the you know Google headquarters. It was just kind of crazy, even though the GoPro was out, it was still very cool technology. So I entered the Twitter contest, and the Twitter contest was hashtag if I had glass and you say you know what you would do with glass based on what you know about the technology, which is very little. you just learn about it on the Google website. So I tweeted, uh, hashtag if I had glass, I would use it in the teaching conducting to show students what I'm seeing in their gesture and body and face, et cetera, from, from the teacher's point of view. And then the other one I tweeted was, if I had glass, I would live stream video recordings from Costa Rica, where I was conducting at the time as well, Austria, where I was also conducting, and Cornell. And one of those got the attention of Google. And I don't know, three weeks later, they said, congratulations, you're a Google Glass Explorer. Woohoo! right? Uh, that'll be $1,000, and <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and you need to get yourself to either California or New York City to pick up Google Glass. So it was brilliant marketing, right? And I decided that, yeah, we were going to do this. I decided that I would buy it, not Cornell's, because I wanted to own the glass and all of the experiments that we did with it. I went to New York City, I picked up Glass, it was all very slick and, and fun and interesting and new and innovative and all that stuff, the Google Glass headquarters, very cool. Anyway, we did a, a, a variety of experiments with Google Glass, we being basically Tyler and I, who also was doing a minor in computer science, so he could write code and all this sort of stuff. So, we embedded a metronome in the glass, which was very cool because there's no microphone in Google Glass. If you put your tap, your finger on the bone right behind your ear, that's how you heard on Google Glass. We thought that that was really cool to actually instill time, not orally but actually physically in <laughs> on that bone. really, really cool. Um, so that was very successful. we we video streamed uh, concerts from the conductor's point of view, but also a musician's point of view. So we put the Google Glass on a musician in a concert and then broadcast that on a large screen above the band during the concert so the audience could see what it was like to be in the band visually. So they, you know, they're constantly looking at their music and hopefully the conductor and all that sort of stuff. And then from my point of view, the conductor's point of view, et cetera, et cetera. That was marginally successful because can you guess it didn't really work that well because of the the lag so even though we were right there the information had to go to california from my from the google glass to california back to cornell and considering that it was actually pretty fast but but in a concert situation that lag was was actually really annoying that's why, by the way, music, which is new technology coming out that w- we can talk about, is very exciting because they, they're working on fixing that lag. And the lag is like half a second, but half a second is a lot in a music
0: performance. But yeah, if your trumpet section is a half a, sec- half a second behind your clarinet section, that's going to be an issue.
1: I did use it in the conducting classroom to great success. What was really exciting about that is that I could, and there are videos of this on YouTube that you can see where I go up to the student and I put my hands on their shoulder because that's where I see a lot of tension. So the student conductor got to see what I saw and what I was diagnosing as the conducting teacher. Not only that, they could get that feedback within five minutes of the class versus what I had been doing, which is putting it on a Zoom recorder, taking it up to my office with their flash drives taking the flash drive putting in my you know downloading it or uploading it to whatever and them downloading it It took almost a day so that in that way it was pretty successful so those are the three main successful things that we did and then our research started to make us think about things in different ways which i find really exciting so we thought what if we could embed a score on google glass so that we could not be looking down on a music stand, not have a music stand at all, but we could look at the score through the glass, through the musicians. Well, that seemed like a really good idea at the time, but it didn't work because the Google Glass screen is super small, and so you can't get all, all of the information on the score. Not only that, it's a PDF that's on the screen, so you actually it's not translucent, so you can't look through the score. To the musicians and but in any way you you got what we called a glass hole look so you were sort of looking up and to the right and not really at people so you it just looked stupid then we got thinking about well what about a score just has the information that you need by the time you get to a performance so we called that a salient score like just the facts and that worked for a little while except that we couldn't make a template because every fact is different for every piece right So that's when we decided that we didn't particularly love this technology anymore. And that's when we started thinking the opposite of Google Glass and an actual digital music. stand. That's what we need. Everybody needs a digital music stand, not an iPad that sits on a black stand, but a digital music stand.
0: You know, I think that process is really interesting. And that I think that too often when we see a new technology or a new product, our first question tends to be, well, tell me how to use this. Whereas musicians and creative artists, the question really should be how could I use this? You know, for example, when my son first got into Minecraft several years ago, the game really confused me because my first question was, well, what are the rules? What are you supposed to do? And his response was great. He said, well, I do whatever I want to do, I explore around, I build things. When I finally understood it, I thought, wow, this is brilliant. Minecraft created an environment with a set of tools and no real rules that allow kids to go in and decide how they wanted to use those tools and how they wanted to operate in that environment. I think that's one of the challenges with most adults is how do we ourselves get out of the mindset of doing things the way that they have always been done and into a mindset of imagination and creativity, of looking at the tools and technologies available today and then exploring how we can use them in sometimes perhaps unexpected ways.
1: Well, you know what? I think that that's true of any anything. It's not necessarily a new technology. It's until that new technology is so commonplace that everybody's using it, like a pencil is technology. We don't ask anymore, tell me what to do with this. We just, we know what to do and, and we make our own doodles or lists or, or whatever it is, or drawings. Until the technology becomes commonplace, I think it's kind of human nature that people say like, this is either cool or this is scary and tell me, tell me what to do with it. It really wasn't until we had Google Glass that we started to free think. I mean, we had some ideas before we got it based on what Google was telling us it could do, but really Google, it was brilliant on Google's part because they, they picked the people to be Google Glass explorers who would tell them how to use Google Glass. Like we basically paid Google to do their research. So in many ways, Google was, was very brilliant and very sneaky. So Google didn't even know. I can imagine them in the background going, if we don't know, I mean, if they're free thinking about what it could do, let's let's ask a bunch of people who might be interesting and they can show us what to do. It, it was great. It was great.
0: Genius, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why they're Google.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> now, having said that, the technology. technology failed, right? I mean, who wears Google Glass? I saw it on the face of a, a GOP candidate the other day. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> But I, and they, they are using it apparently still in places where uh, surgeons are wearing Google Glass and they're recording it live to places in developing countries where they're learning about that surgery. But frankly, you could put a GoPro on your head and do the same thing.
0: I think the trial and error is really the story of anything that's innovative. Innovative things don't just spring to life fully formed. I believe that you have to ask those I wonder and what if questions. Um, taking risk is essential to the process and failure is a natural and normal part of the creative process. You know, failure doesn't equal bad.
1: Yeah, and I believe exactly what you're saying, that we do learn more from failure. And as long as it's in a safe environment, and that's what research universities are supposed to be, we learned a great deal. We learned exactly what we didn't want and what, what we needed by, by those failures, by that, that you know, half-second or second lag taught us a great deal. The metronome taught us a great deal when it first didn't work. That that kind of thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you.
0: So now I want to shift gears a bit and ask you a question about your approach with your student musicians from the podium. There's a well-documented history of the development of the conductor as the master of the ensemble. The root meaning of my show is more or great. So whether we are talking about orchestral conductors such as Toscanini and Von Carrion or when conductors such as Ravelli and and, uh, Painter, the standard wasn't exactly a collaborative relationship between conductor and performers. While contemporary conductors may have a more nuanced demeanor on the podium, I think that it's not uncommon to still see that maestro mentality or influence in many directors and conductors. I've had the opportunity to watch you rehearse different groups on a number of occasions, and while you always have a definite purpose or goal that you are working on, I have been really impressed in how you invite the performers to be a part of the process and you develop with them a sense of responsibility in the collaborative nature of preparing a performance. Can you talk to me some about your philosophy of that relationship as you see it between the conductor and the musicians playing the instruments?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's a, it's a relevant question. I, I, I believe that the age of the dictator on the, on the box is long over. And yet I am pretty struck by when I go to observe rehearsals in this country, Canada, you know, in, in other countries, that there really is still a very top-down approach to music making in a rehearsal setting. And that's not necessarily bad. And I'm not saying that it should be musician or student-driven 100% of the time. And if you've seen my rehearsals, as you say, then you know know that that's true. I mean, it's kind of a... I haven't by any means got this figured out. But I do know the top-down, teacher-centered, students sit there and play their instruments and do what I say, when I say, and how I say is not nearly as collaborative community building and engaging as a situation where the students are asked for their opinion, are encouraged to give insight into the music, anything from phrasing to what a piece means, to changing up the rehearsal setting so that it's not always, you know, flutes in the front row or violins in the front row or whatever and uh, you know, you, they come in and it's very, very predictable into how they sit. Like changing that up, changing oral perspective. I mean, anytime that we can listen to something or someone from a different point of view makes us smarter, uh, makes us more empathetic. I do that all the time where we, we they come in and it's a scramble on the board and even. Pre- pre-professional musicians here at the University of Georgia see that and they get excited it's like it's a scramble rehearsal today it's community building too so take a moment and introduce yourself to the person beside you it's amazing here at University of Georgia there are students in my ensemble that don't know each other it just blows my mind because we come in and we get into these routines and we do the music and you know, we don't, I don't necessarily give them the opportunity to get to know each other. Well, just by changing how we sit in rehearsal and taking a moment to introduce ourselves makes it more student-centered, gives us more sense of community. There are lots of things, practical things that you can do in a rehearsal setting that says to students, musicians, or professional music, musicians, I value your opinion, I respect you, and I trust you. And there are lots of things you can do in a rehearsal that say exactly the opposite. And that's what we're talking about. So in the old system of, well, not so old, because there's still still people doing it, where you stand on the box, literally with a stick, right? Uh, Beating it out of them. We don't even let them choose the repertoire, right? then that says, I don't value your opinion. And then we we count them in all the time, which says, I don't trust you and I, I don't respect you. That's another reason why I project the score.
0: Yes, yes, that was obviously one of the first things that I noticed about your rehearsals. I thought it was brilliant, but also relatively easy to do with a few pieces of common technology.
1: There is absolutely no reason that there was only one person in the room with all the information. It's crazy. You know i was talking about this at NAFME with some choral colleagues and i said well the choral people have it figured out because they have all four voices in front of them all the time they can see the big picture and the choral directors laughed and they said (laughs) they said just because it's there doesn't mean that they look at it right but in band in an orchestra your conductor is the only one with the information we're the only quote-unquote expert in the room and that's that is just nutty as far as I'm concerned. So the the full picture, the score is readily available to all the musicians at any given moment in one of my rehearsals so that they can see the information. It's more efficient, but more importantly, it's more engaging and it's changed how I rehearse. And I refer to it all the time. And I'm either rehearsing from my iPad or my grad students have the iPad. And so they're also learning to think like a conductor, right? Or, and also a composer because you can look at the full picture, look at the big picture and say, why would the composer do this at this moment? And just ask the question and get them thinking about like thinking like a composer.
0: I remember the first time I saw you doing this, I thought, gosh, why aren't more directors and conductors doing this? You know, I was always told that practice is when you learn your part, while rehearsal is when you learn everyone else's part. Something as simple as projecting the score would seem to make that so much easier. And particularly beneficial for a college student who is not only to be a performer, but also is learning how to rehearse an ensemble.
1: The other thing about it, I was criticized when I first talked about this about five or six or seven years ago. Um, somebody in the, it was a clinic I was doing with Wasby, somebody said, music is an aural art. And I wish I had had the s- smarts at the time. You know, you always think of these things 30 minutes later, three o'clock in the morning i wish i had said yes but i also thought it was all the senses music is all the senses and the other thing i wish i had said which i later thought about is that even though yes music is an oral art and we're we're opening up their ears in rehearsal as much as possible 75 percent or more of the students in our ensembles are visual learners whether we you know they just are Uh, most of us are visual learners and so there's a, there are a lot of lights that can go on when you project the score, when you can, we can, when you can allow them to see the big picture. A lot of lights can go on. Or they can make that connection to what they're hearing as well. Or you open their ears on another level. And isn't that what we're supposed to do in rehearsal, is to teach listening, right? A lot of kids these days don't know how to listen. We say, listen, 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 listen to this, listen to this, but we don't teach them how to listen or what exactly to listen for. And just by giving them that visual cue, we can
0: open up their ears on another level. Oh, I I agree completely. I've said to people many times that listening is a skill and like any skill, it has to be taught, coached and learned. Um, Your comments about being criticized for letting students see the score and of music being an oral art form reminded me of a story that I was told many years ago. Um, I can remember being amazed by the great Colonel Arnold Gabriel. I never saw him use a score in a performance or a rehearsal as a conductor. You know, he was renowned for knowing his score so well that he didn't need a score. So the story goes that someone was talking to another legend in the wind band world, uh, Francis Macbeth. Uh, the person asked Dr. Macbeth why he didn't memorize his scores. Even when conducting his own compositions, he, he would never use a score. And uh, Dr. Macbeth's reply was awesome. Uh, he looked at them and said, Well, I don't need to memorize the scores because I know how to read the music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Memorization is fascinating, right? Um, I like to think of it more as internalization. I, I don't mean to get, you know, make a new word like a lot of university <laughs> folks do, but. Um, When you say memorize to students, I want you to memorize your music, or I want you to memorize those three measures so that we can listen with our eyes there and connect. That word can can really scare a lot of kids. As soon as you say it, it's like, you know, it's like jury or exam. I've found that it's more effective to say internalize. And and another thing, here's another thing you can do in rehearsal that that builds community and fun, and is less top down is say anybody that feels comfortable turn your stands around, meaning you've internalized the music. Of course, you wouldn't do this when you're sight reading. <laughs> you would do it at a certain point where, and you would start with, with fairly easy music where the students are not looking at the music, they've internalized it, and they take a risk. That's the other thing that we don't do in rehearsals, right? In rehearsals, we talk about perfection and improving and progress and all of that, and these are all good things. What we don't talk about, what we started talking about with this this interview is taking a risk, being a, it being a safe place to fail, doing something musically that is out of your comfort zone, internalizing the music and taking a chance that you don't know it. And when you don't, can you improvise? Well, there's one of our standards, right? Do, do you know the music well enough, the chord progression, the harmonic progression, the have you internalized this music enough that maybe you don't have it exactly right? But can you fake it? How cool is that? Maybe it'll sound better. (laughs) You know, and then you get them thinking more creatively about the music. They're improvising, which is one of our standards. And you've made it a safe, fun place to take a risk. And that's, to me, what we should be doing more of in rehearsals. Rehearsals aren't heart surgery. Nobody's going to die. You know, Like, go for it. How we started this conversation, that this top-down, teacher-driven, product-driven, let's not forget that, that, that part of the challenge and the criticism that and the fear that a lot of us have with opening up rehearsals to be more student-centered is, gosh darn it, I don't have time, A, uh, and B, I am judged by the quality of the performance unlike the basketball coach who can say, well, it's a bunch of freshmen, (laughs) and they for some reason get a pass, no pun intended, we are judged as as musicians by the quality of our performance. And that's not bad or good, but it makes us fearful in rehearsal. It makes us ego-driven and therefore teacher-centered, and it makes us fearful that our product isn't going to be as good as it could be. When, in fact, when you start doing some of these things and you open up, And there's more student ownership and responsibility for the process and the product the products better
0: oh I think that's a great point and you're right because it is scary to try something new when there are a lot of eyes and ears on you now I'd like to switch gears again if we can even though all this really is interrelated one of the buzzwords in education for a number of years now is accountability and assessment In my experience when teachers hear the word assessment they too often and quickly think that means i have to grade something but in my view assessment shouldn't be about grades hardly at all assessment really should be about communication and feedback it's it should be about a two-way interaction whether it's between a teacher and an individual student or between a conductor and an ensemble you mentioned earlier in our conversation the idea of developing a digital music stand I wanted to go back to that and ask you uh, if you could tell me more about that device and how that type of technology might be able to assist with assessment, collaboration, and communication uh, with, the mu- with the musicians in rehearsal.
1: So right now, University of Georgia and Rotahund Music, which is the contemporary chamber ensemble that I do here, are beta testing another technology called Music. And it's basically a music reading app, just like Fourscore. Except, what they are promising to do are two things that I find very exciting. One, you can, with the touch of the foot pedal, go between the score and your part instantly. So you can have the part on your iPad, and if at any given moment, if you want to see who you, what's going on in the score, you who who have I got this with? What's happening in the piano? I can't figure this out. I can't hear it properly, or that doesn't sound right. I'm going to check it out. That kind of stuff. You can just touch the foot pedal and see the score at any given moment. And two, the other thing that's very exciting that's not necessary, that's not working yet with Music, but they promise that it will be soon, is that I can, as the conductor change something on the score i can i can circle a dynamic i can change a dynamic i can cross out a crescendo and put in a diminuendo and it'll automatically show up in the parts that's really exciting i can i can imagine that concert masters and concert mistresses are going please because i can put in all the bowings and they're there right that's not working yet but i'm pretty confident that they're going to get it so the advantages to that are again what we talked about is just the musicians being able to see the big picture and the and their individual picture almost instantaneously and being able to talk intelligently listen intelligently to what's going on in the music does that make sense
0: yes absolutely I think that has some really exciting possibilities, especially if that collaboration is open between conductor and performers, or performer to performer. I think it's especially important to note how the idea for that product came out of the Google Glass experiments. Google Glass couldn't do exactly what you wanted it to, but it did help you realize more exactly what you wanted, which is an essential step in developing a new idea or product. You know, there are products out there now, like the iPad Pro, that allow you to snap a photo of a score or even an individual part, and then add annotations or markings like Boeing's uh, dynamics or other edits that you may wanna make as either a conductor or just reminders uh, as a performer.
1: Yeah, I I would like to see somebody out there actually develop a, 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 a digital music stand versus an iPad. I mean, the iPad, the larger iPad, the iPad Pro is pretty good, but I still want and the, and the older I get and the more interesting my eyesight becomes, (laughs) I, I still want, I want it bigger. I want that option anyway. Um, so I'd, I'd really like to see a computer screen that's thin, but you know, and that I could download any scores that I want. I would also like to see all of the publishers get rid of paper. Yeah. You know, computers were supposed to save paper, right? Antibiotics were supposed to get rid of disease. Pesticides were supposed to get rid of bugs, right? Well, we have more diseases because of antibiotics, right? But the resistance, we have bigger bugs and more resistant bugs because of pesticides. And we're actually producing more paper products because of computers. So, you know, I I hope you're right. I hope it's just a matter of time. And I see more and more people using iPads to, to perform with, perform from, and also conductors using it. But we're still churning out an awful lot of paper.
0: Yeah, I think it's a matter of time, but we will see
1: i hope you're right i hope you're right i just these really big publishers either a really big publisher just needs to bite the bullet and do it or it's going to be it's going to be like an uber revolution right where the largest people moving company actually doesn't own any vehicles (laughs) right (laughs) you know and so that's somehow that's somehow how it happens
0: As we come to the end of our discussion, I wanted to ask a question about technology and teacher training as it pertains to music. After spending 18 years as a band director, I now teach music technology courses full-time. Music technology is a fairly rapidly growing part of the music curriculum in Georgia's public schools, and more and more music teachers are being asked to teach this. As I speak to other music technology teachers who feel unprepared to do this, I remind them that no one who has a music education degree is certified to teach music technology. Our university music teacher training programs require pedagogical classes in woodwinds, brass, strings, vocal methods, guitar, etc., but virtually none in technology. Even as ubiquitous as technology is in today's society and schools, very few music education graduates are coming out of any university teaching program with much knowledge or experience in utilizing technology as a resource for teaching and learning do you think that this is something that our universities recognize and do you anticipate any evolution in these programs to include technology as an essential element in teacher training
1: i sure hope so i mean yeah where do where do i begin i think the short answer is i think that there is a disconnect between what happens in band programs and orchestra programs at university particularly conservatories or large music schools like the University of Georgia and what's happening in the music education department and that's a shame. We're very siloed you know we each have our curriculum and we each do our thing and you know in the band area we're product driven I mean we have a concert here and you know we got to get ready for that and there's very little communication between music ed department and the band department and and the orchestra department even the choral department and that's that's a whole other conversation. We're trying to change that here at University of Georgia. And it's, you know, that's that that is evolving, as you say. We have, yes, music technology classes are becoming a required course here, as as is a course called Music in the Real World that's being offered at the University of Georgia, which which talks about, you know, how to build a web website, everything from how to build a website to producing a SoundCloud page to learning finale and Sibelius to don't say no to any gig when you're first starting out. I mean, it's a whole spectrum of, of, of that stuff. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, If I hear one more student say, out in the field, you know, they've been teaching for two years, to say, well, I didn't learn that. I didn't learn that in school. I learned that on the fly. I'm going to throw up. I mean, what, we didn't teach you that? I mean, there's a lot of things that you can't teach music educators. They're really, you just have to get out there and fail, <laughs> right? Or figure it out on your own. Of, co- of course there are but I think we could all be doing a better job and I, I don't I'm not blaming music education programs. We could just do a better job preparing our teachers period. The fact by the way, speaking of technology, why on the very first day of music education classes are we not skyping in to phenomenal band directors in the state of Georgia who have proven track records of great teaching, great rehearsal technique, great performance, why aren't we Skyping into their rehearsals and just observing and then taking 10 minutes at the end and asking questions? Why aren't we doing that? Anyway, <laughs> one example.
0: Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, I'm now considered an old dog in my school. The internet had not yet arrived when I entered college and was only just developing when I finished grad school. I've never been a tech geek, but nevertheless, that's what I teach now. And I tell people all the time that if I can learn how to use these tools, anyone can. I mean, we now carry our tuners and metronomes around with us on our smartphones. Uh, does anyone really want to go back to the days of replacing the batteries in your tuner, or to cassette tapes for that matter? I mean, my senior recital was recorded onto a cassette tape. Uh, my guess is that UGA probably doesn't do that anymore. Um, technology usually makes things easier. Uh, if you can't drive an hour or two to observe a really great director, then well, take out your phone and Skype. Um, once you learn how to do it, it really is incredibly easy and very accessible.
1: Oh, but if you haven't done it, and it, it, it can be scary.
0: As much as I hate to do it, we have used up the time that we have available for this conversation and we'll have to bring it to a close. Dr. Cynthia Johnson-Turner, Director of Bands and Professor of Music at the University of Georgia, thank you so much for the conversation. It has absolutely been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, you Bye. Thank you once again for listening to the MuTech Teacher Talk podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. In addition to the RSS feed on the website, you can also subscribe to this podcast with Apple Podcasts through the iTunes store and through Spotify by searching MuTech Teacher Talk. I would also like to encourage you to sign up to become a member of the Music Technology Teacher Network by going to www.muTechTeacherNet.com. The website is full of resources, lesson plans, links, and other great materials for music technology and music teachers. Or subscribe to my written blog at www.mutechteachernetblog.com. And if that isn't enough, you can also stay in touch with us on Facebook or subscribe to the YouTube channel by searching Mutech Teachernet. Our Twitter handle is at Mutech TeachNet. Please like and share, and always feel free to leave some comments and let me know how we're doing or what you would like to learn more about this is the music technology teacher network Music, Advocate, music. support, me- inspire, support me- music technology music technology, technology. music techno techno tech 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 tec- tec- music technology
1: teacher 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 technology teacher tech tech teacher network net net teacher network net net teacher network network music technology Teachers network music technology Teachers network new tech Teachers new tech new tech network music technology Teachers network music technology Teachers network new tech team new tech new tech team network music